This is where you get to hear from various thought leaders across the organic movement. And today I am super, super excited to be joined by Mr. Paul Holmbeck, who is the director of Holmbeck Eco Consult. Uh, Mr. Holmbeck has been uh, the director and the political director of Organic Denmark for over two decades. He is also fresh from winning uh, the Grand Prix One World Award for Sustainability. Mr. Holmbeck is also a candidate for the Organic World Board. So, Mr. Holmbeck, thank you very much for joining me in the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be together with the Organic Guy. Yeah, it's it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. I mean, based on some of the achievements that you've done for the Organic Movement. So, I got to ask really, when, you know, when I look back at um, the early of your career, during the start of your career, um, I mean, you started off as a journalist and um, contributed, you know, to some of the most authoritative news organizations. I'm talking about the New York Times and and NPR. Do you think that kind of environment that you involved on in early, early years of your career really prepared you to start your journey in the organic movement? Oh, good question. Uh, yeah, most mm. definitely. Um, I mean, I was involved in in grassroots uh, political work from a very young age, yeah. um, working on environmental issues, but also food issues, um, food justice issues, uh, food collections and things like that. Um, so the work in, in grassroots work, um, also, you know, working in low income communities, organizing for political influence and for uh, media attention on issues um, was all good training. And of course, the communication training, working as a journalist for for radio and for uh, for print media in the United States was also good training just in, you know, how do you get the media's attention? What's a worthy story and those kind of things. So yeah, all those kind of things uh, sort of combined. Yeah. Um, how was how was the transition really because i i'm, I'm assuming you just moved from um, the journalist world and into the organic movement did you need a little bit of adjustment or it was just a swift movement into well it was really i mean i've i've been a political activist all my life so even while i was working as a journalist for for the new york times and for yeah. others i was organizing in in uh, the low income communities in which i worked um working for you know more affordable housing but we also um were working on food issues uh it was a food desert um where you know we just there was just no food in the in the neighborhood so we organized a, a food co-op um and some buying clubs and uh, community gardens things like that so i was i've always kind of been working on those issues so so the transition was i mean moving to denmark from the united states was a certain transition um but but moving into uh, working with with farmers, even though going from the inner city to working with farmers was something, but it's still about you know a vision and working together for for influence and for you know affecting uh, investment decisions and and politics and so on. So yeah, it's a I feel like I've been training my whole life for for the work that I've done with Organic Denmark. Yeah. So now take us through, um, you know, when you've moved back to Denmark, how is the situation? Like, how is the organic situation there? Are people talking about organic? Is there some movement um, in Denmark already? You know, people are sort of interested into becoming organic farmers or buying organic products. What is the context of organic when you move back into into Denmark? 
Yeah, when I moved to Denmark, I mean, organics was still very small. I mean, the the, the market was so small, we weren't even on the statistics yet. Um, you know, the number of organic uh, hectares was smaller than what, you know, it was half of what we converted in a given year now. Um, so, but but it was really grassroots uh, work, some small organizations. There were six organizations at that time. Um, uh, between the six, I think there were like three or four staff people, um, you know, very, very grassroots offices. You know, we our desks were old um, doors and, you know, I mean, <laughs> it, it was before email. I mean, it was just really grassroots. Yeah. And the market was not that well known. So like even with, um, I, you know, we had our first children then and I was trying to work with the child care center to get organic food there. And the child care center was too small to even order food. So we had to organize uh, food buying clubs for the parents to get the volume up so that somebody would deliver food to us and that kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah, it was really uh, at a at not a very advanced level, but, you know, we've just come a long way since then. Yeah. I mean, for me, when I, I just try to envision and try to picture, that is, um, that is some movement because right now, considering you are sort of um, the light of the world, if you may, in terms of organic... Uh, if you look at the statistics, for example, you know, 12% of the market there is organic now. So can you take us through, because you've been involved throughout this journey, you've been, you know, the lead person in terms of um, trying to, tr to move this transformation. So can you take us throughout this journey? What did you actually do during this timeline to, you know, bring organic from being just a fringe movement to now being sort of a mainstream movement in Denmark? Mm. Well, the first we had to do was get organized. Um, we had six and after, within a couple of years after I started, there were eight yeah. uh, organic associations. Um, first, we moved all of those associations into one house. We established the organic house. Yeah. Um, and uh, four years later, in 2002, we merged all of those organizations into one, into Organic Denmark that was was born there. And that made a huge difference. Um, instead of eight chairmen trying to get attention in the media, we had one. We had a clear voice. We had a very democratic system for making decisions. Um, we were one voice on the market. So at that point, we could start building partnerships with retail. Um, we were one voice in pot with politicians. So they weren't like, oh, they're saying this, they're saying this. It was you know, a unified movement of farmers, food companies, food yeah. professionals, so people working in uh, restaurants and public kitchens and so on, and consumers. So bringing together the whole uh, production chain, yeah. uh, but yeah. also bringing together uh, the very different groups of organic milk producers, organic pig producers, so we're one one voice, yeah. always with different opinions because it's organics, you know, it's, the diversity is fantastic, yeah. but, but still one voice, once we had uh, hashed through things together. So that was one big step. And then just building capacity within the organization, because I, I think Denmark's a good case of that an organic NGO can really drive change. Yeah. It can drive change in the market, in the media, in politics, and on farms. And, but to do that, we had to build capacity. So it was about not just money, not just resources and lobbying on the national budget and so on, but also um, the right capacity. So when I wanted to, we had some communication work, but when I wanted to build a marketing 
department that could really match retail. Yeah. I had to hire people who had worked in retail yeah. so they could match them, speak the same language. Um, and so step by step, we built up our our agricultural technical capacities, our market capacities, our communication capacities, and our political capacity. So, and then the interplay between those, you know, using our market success with politicians because consumers are also voters and using our political influence to increase resources, for example, to market development or new innovation for farms. So kind of making that cycle go upwards instead of kind of everybody waiting for everybody, um, everyone motivating everyone. So this so capacity building was uh, was really crucial. And then I think one of the really unusual things in Denmark is we've uh, our approach is that we we were very relation focused. Mm. So it's like, you know, just like organics is not just a bunch of rules. It's about understanding the ecosystem and mm. um, politics is like that. The market is also like that. So it's about understanding and being useful for other parts of the ecosystem. So we went in and, and just started working with retail. And we were the first country where mainstream supermarkets um, really started expanding organics. But it didn't just happen on its own. It's mm-hmm. We were in working at the strategic level about what organics can do for their profile and then working our way down into their organizations to broaden the assortment and sitting with their lists of products and saying, oh, you need to you need to fill these gaps and then helping them communicate better with consumers. So by going in close partnerships with retail, we were able to really create that boom where now we have 30 to 50 percent of the food market Mm -hmm. for many basic products like, you know, milk and a lot of vegetables and flour and oats and things like that. We have 30 to 50 percent of the market and 80 percent of Danes buy organic food today. So and and that's just constant consumer communication and getting uh, bringing the why of organic out yeah. to people. But all that created all that demanded capacity in the organic NGO. Yeah, um, I'm trying to look at from um, uh, a market perspective because um, you know for organic sort of to grow, people want should want to buy it. Should you know want to spend their hard earned money to buying organic products. Um, so maybe you can share with us. You mentioned it a little bit earlier of trying to communicate the why of organic. Maybe you can let, let us know why is that actually important in terms of trying to expand the organic market overall. Yeah, um, organics is more expensive and that's the number one barrier. So people understanding that organics is more for your money. Mm-hmm. You know, p- first people are thinking, oh, it's costs more, but it's actually more for your money. It's about the substance of what it is. Yeah. And so... Um, that's the message we've brought and we've tried really uh, in Denmark to have a positive communication about organics, mm. all that it offers. Um, and we have never attacked conventional farms, yeah. farmers or conventional farming. That's been important for our relationship to the conventional farm organization and for our farmers' relationship to their neighbors. I mean, they would rather play cards with their neighbor than argue about what their associations have been saying about each other so it really that that approach kind of came from our farmers that we don't want to attack but you know in any case we do talk about pesticide that we don't use pesticides and there are still conventional farmers that definitely see that as an attack on their way of producing yeah but so we come with positive message to consumers about what 
Organis does for the environment, for protecting our drinking water. We drink groundwater in Denmark. Yeah. And that's increasingly their wells are being closed because there's pollution with pesticides. Yeah. Um, you know, nature, biodiversity, um, animal welfare. And the, the approach has also been to confront the issue of price head on. Mm. Um, mm. That, you know, not to, besides just talking about the value of organics, but also saying that cheap food is expensive. Yeah, yeah. For all of us. Mm. So our farmers have been on the streets when, you know, suddenly all the supermarkets are cutting the price on milk and driving the price down. So we've used that as a, a way, to, a point of time to communicate to consumers and say, and we passed out free milk. And so said, you know, we might as well give it away for free yeah. because the prices are so low now. And really that's bad for animals. It's yeah. bad for the environment. It's bad for farmers. It's bad for all of us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, using that as kind of a moment to talk with, with consumers about the value of paying money, a proper price yeah. for food. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, that approach has, has worked so that there's a lot of confidence, um, in the organic farmers uh and what they're doing yeah um i definitely do agree because now you have to be transparent most uh most of the times we from the organic sector especially we don't we just don't want to talk about prices because um yeah that's one thing that we do know consumers relatively don't want to pay more mm. than when they can get the same product maybe on a different price and um right now i live in the netherlands the organic market is very low it's about two percent right now and but you can see um you know when you walk into supermarket you can see there's a section of organic there are some um, you know specialized organic shops that you can go into and um, buy organic products but you can see there's no that there hasn't been that traction sort of of you know consumers willing to say you know what this is organic and i'm ready and willing to pay that maybe that has something to do with um the other day i was talking about um director of Bionext uh, asking him, are Dutch consumers generally sort of uh, not willing to pay more for products and mm. sort of confirm that myth? So there, there are, as you just say, there are different ways to communicate it and you have to be ready and tr be transparent really mm. what organic can do beyond just price, which is, I think for me, it's a, it's also, you know, a good point to take home as well. Yeah, and actually, we've also put a lot of energy into people actually coming out on the farms and experiencing organic. So it's not just words, it's also experiencing it. So we have, every year, we have almost 5% of the population comes out physically out on an organic farm mm -hmm. every year. Um, and that makes a difference. You know, they've yeah. got their kids with, they're talking with their kids about it. Once you've said it to your child yeah. that this is, oh, this is good, well, you know, <laughs> then you got to do it. True, true. Um, the other point that you touched a little bit, which I find a little bit harder to deal with is in terms of policy. So, for example, back in Kenya, we've been um, trying to get an organic policy passed since 2008. It's been a back and two front, you know, uh, politicians say, yeah, this is a good initiative. We're going to look at it, sort of shelves it somewhere. And it's been uh, up and for sort of confrontation with um, politicians in a way. But from your end, we've seen a lot of um, success, right? And um, you mentioned about um, a lot of, you know, talking with politicians, even 10 out of 11 political parties listening to you. So maybe you can also help us understand what is the right way of going through talking with politicians, for example. What is the right political approach that organic um, policymakers, for example, should they try to approach 
in terms of when communicating to uh, political parties or political individuals in their uh, organic advocacy, for example? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, our approach has always been to um, start with what they want to do. Mm. And so with politicians from different parties, you know, what's important to them? Because organics offers so much. Yeah. It's good for rural development. It's good for green, the green agenda. It's good for water quality. It's good for health. So we try to tune into where politicians are. And if, if their whole issue is only about economic growth, mm. then we will talk about economic growth. Yeah. And that this is a viable way for farmers to get a decent price for their food. It places them in the right place in the market, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's really kind of a, you know, an empathic approach to politicians. It's just like they got they've got problems to solve. They have visions and dreams. Yeah. We want to help you solve that. Um, and so that's been our approach. So now, you know, we have support. It wasn't like this at the beginning, but we have support from, yeah, 10 out of 11 political parties, but for very different reasons. Mm. And some it's just because, you know, it's a good export business or, you know, animal for one of the parties, animal welfare is the main thing. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that that's been our approach. And then we've never forced them to choose between mm. organics and conventional. Again, that's our communication, which has been positive and we don't attack conventional farmers. Um, so if we force them to choose between conventional and organic, um, they'll choose conventional, most mm. of the political parties, yeah. because that's most of farming, that's most of the votes, yeah. and that's most of the economy in in in, uh, in farming today. Yeah. Um, so, and we don't need them to choose because essentially we're trying to build up organics. So we need resources to innovation, product, you know, uh, market development, and other issues, and you know, training farmers, and mm. so. Building up the organic sector doesn't require, it requires taking some battles. Yeah. We made the world's first uh, GMO law that included compensation to organic farmers if their farms are polluted by GMOs and those kind of things. So we've had to take some battles, yeah. no question about that. Pesticides, you know, problems coming onto our farms, et cetera. But, but, but mostly we've just been about building up the organic sector, and that's been a viable way to get broad support. And then following up and timing and every time there's a major issue, you know, like now a new biodiversity strategy is going to be built on. We, we get organics built in as a tool because it's a good tool. So we come in and we say, OK, organics can be part of this. And then when organics gets built into a plan for rural development, for example, then there's also new resources to develop orga the organic sector. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's one way to get an, an, a policy, for example, but it's another way to make sure that it's actualized, for example, it's implemented. So I was wondering from your experience, maybe you can share with us what um, are some of the things that when someone is, maybe an organization is trying to push a policy, for example, what are some of the things that they should consider? Because I'm thinking not all policies that are suggested are necessarily going to work. So what should an organization that is trying to push um, a, a given policy, for example, what should they do? What should they consider to make that policy become a success? Yeah. Um, well, 
in in order to get it designed right in the first place mm -hmm. i mean it's good to have to be very active about precisely how what it what it is a policy you're using and then you can use examples if you have if you have examples from other areas that have worked mm -hmm. that's a good cause um, we've also tried to always have allies supporting it so when we went in for a goal of 60 percent organic in the pub all public kitchens yeah. we, we came together with the trade unions representing the people who were working in the kitchens yeah. and with health organizations and so 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 good allies shows politicians that there's broad support yeah. for this issue. It's not just the organic producers mm. who want to sell more stuff. Um, and it's also helps design things better because different interests, you know, they have a different perspective on, you know, what the policy needs to look like. So then you end up with policy that is more tailored to the actual needs. Yeah. So yeah. so we had a lot of discussion with these, you know, the people who were actually working in the public kitchens and they're, you know, people try to lead these large hospital kitchens and so on. What kind of policies will support you? And then we designed it on that basis. Mm -hmm. But then it was much easier to implement because it was made because it in a way that it made sense for the people who actually had to do it. Yeah. Um, and then implementation also requires follow up with ministries and with, you know, design of programs and um, dissemination of programs. I'm doing some advising with the ministry in Uganda right now, and they have the new organic law, yeah. um, which is fantastic. I mean, it's just the the elements described in there, and the the NGOs in Uganda have done a great job. You know, yeah. really making sure there's a lot of good things in there. But now the real work comes because it has to get financed, mm. and it has to all the all the design on the on the programs and so on. So there's always yeah. I mean, there's always a lot of work. Yeah. in the follow-up but then that's where the real change happens yeah talking yeah. about policy again i would like to get your um, opinion on the um, right now the fork to um, farm to fork strategy of the european union where they have a target of 25 um, percent organic land yeah. by 2030 what what do you think about it do you think it's um, in the right path of um, being achieved before 2030 or by 2030 Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the organic movement, IFOM, uh, Organics Europe, yeah. did an amazing job, you know, lobbying for strong goals, but also strong substance that's also reflected in the new action plan, um, yeah. the organic action plan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it requires reaching 25 percent requires a whole range of organic policies in all of the member states yeah. and the commission has sent a signal that member states should should do action plans for organics i wish they would have required it yeah. um, because in some states you know our organizations are small and they we really need the ministries to be committed to doing organic action plans it's kind of a platform to, mm. to hear the organic sector yeah um but you know we need besides you know market development and training for farmers and extension services and other issues, we definitely need some game changers. Yeah. Um, and one of those in the member states is redirecting uh, agricultural support to the environmental and climate issues that organic farmers are already doing a lot of. That will change mm -hmm. the face of agriculture in Europe overnight yeah. if it's done seriously in the in the different member states. And then I think we need some game changers to level the playing field in the market. Also, like pesticide fees, we have pesticide fees in Denmark, which have, you know, it's adds some some it makes the sort of the polluter pays reflected mm. in the price. Yeah. And it's also helping farmers, you know, move away from some of those pesticides anyway. Um, and then, we, you know, the VAT, 
I mean, I think, you know, that the EU can start by saying that it's okay for member states to differentiate for organic yeah. products and set the VAT lower on organic food. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the member states need to do it. Yeah. That would level the playing field. I mean, if we had a, in Denmark, we have a VAT of 25%. Mm. If that was cut in half for organics, we would have a number of organic products that actually would be cheaper yeah. than the conventional products. We would take 100% of the market That's, for a number of number of products yeah. immediately. Sure. And it, just like now, you know, it's sort of like, you know, with some some products are being phased out conventional in, in Denmark now, like bananas, for example. We have we've gone from in one year, we went from like 30% of the market to 66. And now we're probably moving towards 100% of the market because they're just they're they're phasing out conventional bananas. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the VAT issue would do that for a lot of products. Mm. Um, so, yeah, game changers. We need those two. Absolutely. Talking about game changers, um, you are, you know, a candidate for the upcoming um, iPhone World Board and uh, um in in september we are going to have the organic world congress and uh, one of the uh, tasks for example is to elect the iphone uh, world board and you are a candidate for the iphone world board so maybe you can let us know why what was the motivation what was the why behind uh, deciding to be a candidate for for the board yeah um well the motivation is that i want to help and yeah. um, the iPhone is so important um, at the international level, setting organics and agroecology centrally in the whole sustainable food mm. uh, agenda. And there's there's a real battle going on around the whole world about defining what sustainable food systems are. We have sustainable intensification. That means, you know, more pesticides and GMOs and the whole package. Yeah. People are redefining regenerative, you know, where you still use pesticides. So there's this whole battle going on. We need IFOM Organics International to be continuing to set organics centrally in that agenda. Yeah. And I've seen just the power of um, the work that's already been done to um, influence decision-making, research, and other issues where now we have, you know, UN uh, Food Security Committee, uh, we have FAO, the, we have uh, the, the climate panel yeah. pointing towards agroecology. That's like strengthening for all of us in all the different countries about yeah. we can say, hey, look, you know, the, the world is starting to point at agroecology. So that's yeah. one thing. The other thing is I have so much confidence that our members can be strengthened in their work. Mm. Um, we have so much talent out there, but it's clear that we need to build capacity in our NGOs to drive change. Yeah. And by training and sharing best practice, like the farm family learning groups in Uganda, we've taken mm. those back yeah. to Denmark. It's one of the most often used methods now to spread knowledge among farmers. Mm. So it's like just spreading lessons around the world will strengthen our movement and the stronger our members are the stronger our movement and our organization is and yeah there are 23 people running for the board yeah and uh i i respect them all and i i think you know there's a lot of really qualified people but it, you know i'm hoping that i'll uh, get one of the 10 seats there yeah absolutely yeah. i mean looking at um uh, for example you have a support letter from uh, vandana shiva uh biofusion foundation for example organic sweden organic denmark um yeah i think these are people who have already seen what you can offer to iphone in um in, um, in a global level so i'm also looking forward to it and um um yeah 
hope you all the best and become uh, one of our next um, champions who will be leading the organic movement uh, in the next two to four years. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So thank you for your time. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing the insights and some of the wisdom that you've gathered for all these years in a package, really, in a densely in a short period of time. So for me, it's been a, an absolute pleasure and looking forward to meeting you in person in one of the organic conventions, for example. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for your work and spreading uh, good lessons around the world. Thank you.